Today on Semi-Intellectual Musings, we catch up with our guest co-host Anthony Von Dessauer and check in with the Silver Lake News. We explore what happens when music and art are more easily available, who produces, who consumes, who profits, and how will technology change everything. You spin me right round, baby, right round. Like a record, baby, right round, round, round. This is Turntables and Microphones. Let me Welcome, welcome, hello, welcome, everyone. This is Semi-Intellectual Musings. I am your co-host, Philip Primo. This is the podcast that looks at social sciences, humanities, and arts. We do it by looking at published books, films, sport. Today is going to be all about music, but first, let me introduce to you, returning to the show, Anthony Von Dessauer as our guest host. Hey, Anthony. Hey, man, it's it's a pleasure to be back on Sim. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on as uh, this is our first guest hosting spot. Oh, wow, I'm honored. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so for everyone uh, who is returning, thank you for checking us out uh, again. And for everyone new here, Matt is away doing greatness. He's gathering up interviews for a mini-series we're putting together on chronic pain and chronic illness. So he's uh, talking to some really interesting folks um, and we're going to have a few surprises for all of you on that mini series. Uh, but Anthony, if I say MTV during the 1990s, what sort of picture comes to mind? Uh, well, music videos, uh, when they still played music videos on MTV, yeah. uh, but probably things like, uh, Madonna, hmm. maybe some, maybe some Dr. Dre. Snoop was it maybe this, was that too soon for the chronic? No, probably not. No, no, the chronic was in the nineties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, so. I can't give too much away, but all I can say is it involves a very, I'm going to call it like amazing, typical nineties MTV esque leather jacket. Someone who wears it. That's it. <laughs> yeah, that's all BJ's. I'm going to say. Sure, BJ's. Yeah, that's all I'm going to say. Um, but today we're going to be talking all about seventy eight RPM music. The flow of music to the public domain with an archive.org project aimed at digitizing tracks for two purposes. The first, to allow for research of once unplayable al- albums, and the second, to bring forgotten music to the ears of all. But first, Anthony, you are the creator of a rather unique podcast. For the folks who may not have heard of your show before, tell us what, what you've uh, been up to in Podcast Line, man. Uh, well, if you haven't heard of us before, I am the host and creator of The Curse of Silver Lake, an RPG podcast. We dramatize an RPG campaign that my friends and I play. It's not a live play. We actually turn it into an audio drama and add sound effects, and it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Sim is a big fan. It uh, It is a lot of fun. I must like. It's one of those experiences where you feel like you're being transported to a new world. Like, I don't know how you do it, but that's when I, whenever I open it up and listen to a new episode, that's how I feel. Awesome. Awesome. Love to hear that kind of stuff. Right now, uh, both of us, it, it's basically a two man show. Both of us have been uh, smacked with a good, hearty dose of, of real life that is kind of yeah. uh, taken apart Silver Lake Studios. And we're in the process of moving the studio and moving ourselves and getting everything back in gear. But after that's done, we're going to be putting together episode nine, which is 
which is going to be pretty special. We have a uh, a guest host doing one of the character voices, and this is a Sim exclusive right here. I haven't talked about this anywhere what? else. Another exclusive on the Sim. Look at us. <laughs> um, are, are you familiar with Mike Brown and the Pleasing Terrors podcast? He's going to be on your show. Yeah, yeah, he's going to be he's going to be doing the voices for one of our uh, non-player characters. Awesome. Yeah, he's he's a good guy. The Pleasing Terrors podcast is like a horror podcast about, um, you know, haunted houses, and it, it's not well. It's kind of a weird sentence, but it's not fiction. Although you know we're talking about yeah. haunted houses, but about historical haunted places and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great show. Everyone should check that out. Pleasing terrors. And that's what I got. Did I, did I surprise you with Mike? Oh, uh, a little bit. I'm, I'm okay. So <laughs> last time we checked in with silver, Lake, uh, zombies, uh, a portal had opened. The silver Lake was like turned upside down. Yeah. Uh, now you're bringing Mike on. Uh, is there any connection to where did the story's going to go? Can you give us a little clue? Are um, you allowed to do that? Okay. Yeah, sure. Not a problem. I mean, it, there's more zombies. Um, and essentially, they are trying to uh, figure out what happened and find the rest of the Volitnikov guild and just see what's happened to town and, and just kind of recover from everything being cool to everything falling apart. It's pretty much fighting fighting denizens from the grave for the next the next few episodes. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> but I will tell you episode 10 is going to be our uh, Wyatt NPC episode. Are you familiar with hashtag Wyatt NPC? Yeah. So but yeah. Uh, let fill everyone in on what uh, this hashtag is. Okay. This hashtag is, uh, it pulls at your heartstrings and it'll put a smile on your heart. So uh, Wyatt was a young man who really enjoyed playing role-playing games. And uh, through one reason or another, I'm assuming uh, depression, Wyatt uh, took his own life. Mm. And his mother, who obviously loves him very dearly, took to the internet and uh, told the collective we about her son and about how he loved to play role-playing games and in kind of like a, a, a loving motherly plea, she asked that people put Wyatt into their games so that Wyatt's story continues on. And people have been doing that, and D&D podcasts have been doing it too. Yeah. So if you see a hashtag Wyatt NPC or hashtag play for Wyatt, that's what's going on. You know, when the story first hit, uh, I wasn't sure how the community was going to respond. Um, and I, I was really surprised at just the sheer number of RPG games who have a Wyatt character now. Um, and like for all the right reasons. Yeah. Yeah. It's just one of those things where a community uh, is what yeah. you want it to be. Uh, so if you see play it for Wyatt, uh, hashtag play it for Wyatt, check it out, check out the shows that are using it. Um, you know, it's uh, it, it, it continues the spirit 
of the RPG community. That's what I th- that's what I think when I say yeah, that. absolutely. It, it it's just a real good tell on who we are as a community, like you know our soft, squishy insides. We love those squishy insides. <laughs> those, those squishy insides are what, what gets us going, Anthony. Um, so speaking of what we have on the inside, where can we find your show? Uh, the Curse of Silver Lake can be found anywhere you find podcasts. Is certainly on Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can find us directly on our website, thecurseofsilverlake.com. We are on Facebook at slash Silver Lake RPG, and we have a Twitter the handle escapes me at the moment. Curse Silver Lake. Curse at Silver Lake. Curse Silver Lake. All one word. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Now, see, that is a good host. He was prepared. I'm looking right at it. <laughs> <laughs> Check it out. The Curse of Silver Lake. Um, thank you, Anthony, for that. Uh, I, you know, I'm I'm always going to be amazed at what you can put together with this show. But uh, having Mike on from Pleasing Terrors, this is uh, you've. you've Piqued my interest once again, sir. Oh, nice. It's it, it's it's a treat, and it's a pleasure to have him. On this show, let's come back to this show for, for a minute. Uh, we once played friend or foe, and Anthony, like all things good and nice and shiny, they get stolen, snatched right from under your careful watch. So now we play a game called What Do You Hate More? The, the premise is simple. <laughs> we pick two things, usually bad things, sometimes really bad things, and we decide which bad thing we hate more. Sometimes we pick good things. Sometimes they're really good things. So then you have to decide and tell us which good thing you hate more than the other. It's quite cynical, jaded even. It's what happens when someone steals your game, runs off with it, and tells you thanks. With a smile and a wink and a southern accent. And they're nice, so you can't be mad. And you're not mad because now you have a new game. It's not the same fun old game. It's a cynical game. So, are you ready, Anthony? I'm ready. All right. What do you hate more? Having to pee really bad when you're stuck in traffic. Take a turn. You see a rest stop or a McDonald's in the distance, and you think, this is perfect. I can hold it for another 500 feet. And then an old person driving a car cuts into your lane, and now you're stuck behind them driving five kilometers an hour. That's like two and a half miles an hour for all you US of A'ers. <laughs> Thank you for translating. Yeah. Or, or preparing a bowl of cereal, pouring your favorite milk or soy beverage on it, only to find that you have enough left for a sip. Your cereal is only a quarter covered and dry. What do you hate more? Okay. This, this is an easy one for me. So being stuck, having to go pee. I... I'm lactose intolerant. Mm-hmm. So I never even developed the habit of milk and cereal or a milk substitute. So I've so been no missing out on that my entire cereal. life. So I don't know the the dismal sorrow that comes from not having enough milk for my cereal. Mm. But you know what it's like uh, to be having to hold in traffic. Right. Yeah. That's, uh, that's harsh. See, uh, this is a hard one for me because I, I do enjoy a milk beverage of sorts, my cereal, sometimes soy, sometimes just cow milk. Most of the time, soy milk though, or cashew milk, but having to go pee really stinks too. And as we've discovered last week, I, you know, I, if I get into the car and I haven't gone and then I have to go, I'm like, damn it, dang it. Why didn't I go? I feel guilty. And then the same sort of thing crops up with my cereal, Anthony. I'm like, 
why didn't I, I knew that there wasn't enough left. <laughs> like I've gone up the Creek knowing that I left my paddles somewhere. What am I doing now? And now you just but ruined. See, does a lack of milk cause you physical pain? Like having to go pee? No, no. But then do I eat the cereal? Like dry cereal, like kind of like it, it's not good. So my problem is now do I throw out the cereal and then I feel guilty about wasting food. Sure. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I think for me, it's going to have to be the peeing one as well. Yeah. 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 It's pretty rough. Yeah. So have you ever had to do the bottle? Anguish. What's that? Have you ever had to do a bottle in the car? Have ever had to do a bottle in the car? Well, uh, yeah. Yes, I have. <laughs> All right. hey, How much guys. information do you want on that one, Phil? That's enough. That's okay. <laughs> Just a yes. Okay, move on. Uh, yeah, it's the benefits of being of the male anatomy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think like, okay, so if you're in town and you got to go, it sucks, but at least you have places to go. It's when um, you're out in the country like in Canada and it's like a snowstorm and you can't really pull uh, over and you're out in the middle yeah, of see, nowhere. The snowstorm is the key element there. Cause if the weather's fine and you're out in the country, not an issue. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you can't stop up here. <laughs> uh, can't do it. <laughs> All right. So we both don't like uh, having to go in the, uh, in the car. That's fine. I think that's a good one. Yeah. I think we'd learn something. Well, maybe. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let's get on with the show. But before we do, uh, today we're going to be playing some music. Um, and, you know, we're going to be talking about an archive.org uh, project. Uh, archive.org is part of the Internet Archive. And w really, we're trying to raise some awareness around this project and bring light to the good goodness that they're doing. So we want to play some of the music that they're archiving. We're going to talk about that. But before we play the first track, I do have to read sort of a disclaimer. So this is from the Internet Archive, archive.org website, about the rights of the tracks that we're going to play today. And it says, the collection has been made available for use in research, teaching, and private study only. Copyrights that may exist in these materials have not been transferred to the Internet Archive. The Internet Archive does not advise as to the copyright status of items in our collection, and our terms of use require that users make use of the Internet Archive's collections at their own risk and ensure that such use is non-infringing and in accordance with the applicable laws. So I asked for permission. I didn't get anything. I didn't uh, get an email response back. So I don't know if we have permission to play it. But what I'm saying is that today's episode, the music that we're playing is for research, teaching, and private study. That's what I'm going to say. And I, I don't think I'm too far off. No, actually, I think you're right on the money and uh, people will see. And we're going to link to everything that we play and we're going to link to the repository. So go check it out on your own. Uh, but to get us kicked off, Anthony, I gave you the task of picking some songs. What did you pick? What's our first one? Okay. Uh, I got some good ones, but I think the first one really uh, demonstrates the spirit of the archive project and that is a folk version of La Bamba and most of us are familiar with the Richie Valens version of La Bamba the pop version it's catchy it's an awesome song but it he didn't write that song it was an old folk song it's beautiful actually 
cantar la bamba Para cantar la bamba se necesita una poca de gracia Una poca de gracia y otra cosita Arriba y arriba Arriba y arriba, él dijo así Yo no soy marinero Yo no soy marinero Por ti seré, por ti seré, por ti seré Cada vez que me mira Cada vez que me mira se le endereza La niña de los ojos la niña de los ojos por mi pureza, quitilín, 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 que suena la campana, que suena la campana de Medellín, quitilín, quitilán, quitilín, quitilán, 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 que suena la campana, que suena la campana de Malibrande, Malibrande, Malibrande. que era bonita se me puso la cara se me puso la cara coloradita arriba y arriba arriba y arriba él dijo así yo no soy marinero yo no soy marinero soy capitán soy capitán soy capitán Arriba y arriba, arriba y arriba, él dijo así, yo no soy marinero, yo no soy marinero, por ti seré, por ti seré, por ti seré. Ay, te pido, te pido, ay, te pido, te pido, de compasión, que se acabe la bamba, que se acabe la bamba de nuestro son, arriba y arriba. Y arriba y arriba, él dijo así, yo no soy marinero, yo no soy marinero, por ti seré, por ti seré, por ti seré. It's a simple song, do you know what the song is about? I don't know what this, what is the song about? Okay, so this song, Bamba is a dance, right? Okay. And uh, even kind of pulled up an English translation of the version, uh, or... Yeah, an English translation here. So it's uh it starts off to dance the bomba, to dance the bomba. One needs a bit of grace, a bit of grace for me and you. It's about dancing. Wow. Yeah, and it's like a folk dance that kind of goes along with the folk song. And uh pretty much what I just read is about sixty percent of the lyrics of that song just repeated over and over again but there's something culturally significant about can you dance like that right oh well definitely and obviously this is a spanish song right yeah so um dance is very expressive in well in many cultures but if you listen to the instrumentals the singing and the presentation of that song you can visualize 
a time and a place where that's happening and a culture yeah. and a people yeah. and you feel the the sensuality of it and the playfulness of it. Yeah. And with the version that we just listened to, you hear the crackles and the pops and that's intentional. Um, we're used to listening to crystal clear CD music. What we're talking about today has been recorded and played back on a 78 RPM uh, shellac, which is basically like a beetle resin um, predecessor to the LP. So it kind of looks like a record, has the sort of shape like a record, but it turns very slowly. So that's why you can hear all the crackles and the grooves in it. But not like as a music format that can be transported in time through this project now that they're digitizing it, we can actually hear where this thing moved or was scratched physically, which I think La Bamba, as you said, represents this project beautifully in that, you know, a dance isn't perfect. You're going to scratch the floor. You're going to click your heels right. or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You need a bit of grace for me and you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, the format of the 78 RPM is obsolete. Um, and oftentimes the surface noise makes the tracks unbearable. You can't listen to them at all. And even just picking up the records, uh, they can break in your hand. They can just shatter apart. So the Internet Archive, in collaboration with Contemporary Music and a few other uh, partners, such as the Batava Public Library in Illinois um, and the Thorpe Collection, have gathered, man, I think it's like 200,000 of these 78 RPMs. And they've started to digitize them. Private donations have come in, and they've also done that. Uh, They've currently digitized somewhere of, uh, I think this month they hit 78,000 records that they've digitized now, which is huge, spanning from around uh, 1989 to the 1950s. 1889. That's one of the oldest ones that they have in their collection is 1889 uh, or 1898, something like that. Um, I, I tried listening to one of the 1900 ones that they had and it was just unbearable. You couldn't, <laughs> couldn't hear anything. Uh, what the, the cool thing about this is any music you're listening to today, the, this is the roots of it. All these things that they're preserving, this is where it came from. This is the foundation of all modern contemporary music is being put into this archive and there's just there's a lot of history and that's kind of what we'd already mentioned with La Bamba but yeah pretty much everything in there has a story that's deeper than the lyrics yeah and for a lot of these uh, these are the first time that these tracks have actually been played in public in this sort of way they would have been maybe housed physically in a personal archive listened to by uh, someone who had the means to buy the album at the time But they were certainly never broadcasted or played on radio. They weren't recorded anywhere other than on this shellac uh, 78. Um, So in a sense, one of the purposes of the project is to share that sort of music, to make it available to a wider audience. And um, there's something neat about doing it on the platform of archive.org. So if anybody... um, is a historian or has worked in um, with documents, you know that archive.org is a huge repository of digitized media. So not only music, but they have books, they have film, uh, they have old 
TV. Uh, they have pictures, audio recordings, uh, some podcasts even are repositoried on archive.org. Yeah, and, a good place to put your show in uh, perpetuity. Yeah, well, I, well, that's it. It's kind of like this thing that once you put it in there, it's a vault. Uh, it's like a vault of human creativeness. That's lovely. <laughs> yeah, so um, currently uh, the Internet Archive houses 279 billion web pages, uh, and they have this neat little thing. I don't know if you've ever used it, but it's called the Wayback Machine. No. Have you heard of I that? I mean, I'm familiar with the concept of a Wayback Machine. Yeah, so you can go back and see like what a website looked in history, as long as it's archived through it. Um, and they have like 20 plus years of web history. Oh, wow. Through it, which is really neat. Nice. Um, they have 11 million books and texts, 4 million auto, audio recordings, including 160,000 live concerts. Um, and for anybody who is interested in how music moves uh, people, watching or listening to the live concert format is just phenomenal. Like you can hear the crowd reacting. You can hear cheering or booing or whatever. Um, so you can listen to that on the archive.org platform. Uh, they also have 3 million videos, uh, 1 million images and a hundred thousand software programs. And some of those software programs are old. Yeah. And I think that you can also get old versions of programs that have been adapted i mean they probably don't have like the old version of like napster or anything like that but right yeah there's i know that people have dug up some old software to avoid certain patches <laughs> okay yeah that works <laughs> uh i just clicked on uh 1989 because for some reason when i think of software i think of 1989 <laughs> okay don't know why uh the first one that comes up SimCity. nice classic <laughs> i don't know if you remember this game but Ferrari Formula One. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. it's basically just a little um, pixelated car-shaped thing going yeah. down a gray gray line. Yeah, and they, they called that Formula One. <laughs> uh, okay, sorry, just because I'm looking at it. Indi yeah, uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Oh, worst game ever. <laughs> no, okay, so technically the worst game ever is that E.T. game that they made. Oh, yeah. And you know this. Have you heard the story about that? Uh, it sold, sold so poorly that what, what they did was they ended up with all these ET cartridges they couldn't do anything with. They literally just buried them in the desert. <laughs> and there's a whole documentary of them digging them up. It just happened like they just dug them up like a, a year or two ago. Oh, wow. Because it, so, I mean, it's ET, so it's got like the Spielberg name and, yeah. it's, you know, big IP movie franchise, tons of money, but the game was so awful. Nobody bought it. So they're just stuck with all these cartridges. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so ET go home in desert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they didn't even let him phone home. No, not even no, a phone call. Not, he didn't even get his phone call. Oh, poor guy. <laughs> um, so the 78 RPM music project, um, not only does it bring some familiar and not so familiar music into our homes, but it also opens the idea of the democratization of music. Um, Archive.org, it's free. It's accessible. As long as you can access the internet, you can go and listen to it. Um, but that also opens the question of who then profits from it. So who stands to profit from the expansion, the expansion 
of musical consumption in this way. Okay, well, I have um, a little bit of personal experience with this and not from myself, but my oldest stepson, George, is part of a metal band called Cyborg Octopus. Oh. They are extremely talented. They're progressive metal. They tour, and uh, they're, they're a bunch of great kids. Like, being in a band, Cyborg Octopus is not like the primary thing they want to do with their life. It's just a thing that they love to do. They happen to be good at it. And they've gotten signed by labels, but selling music is no longer how musicians make money. Right. It's all merchandise now. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're not going on tour and providing that personal experience, you're not going to make like the days of like Metallica and like these huge bands that just, you know, belt out an album and, you know, go platinum and now they got millions and millions of dollars. It just doesn't happen. It's all that kind of money is in pop music. Right. Um, And even then it doesn't happen like that because of the distribution model of music now being digital and companies like iTunes and Vimeo, they kind of, they get their cut. So it's, it's easier to have ownership of your of your music because you can make it yourself you can release it yourself you don't need a label therefore the label doesn't control your content it's like it's easier to be an artist Mm. but the monetization isn't the same okay so if anybody is interested in cyborg octopus they're on Bandcamp. uh, they are uh, you can find them on facebook at cyborg octopus and I'm looking at the cover for uh, their album, and um, the artwork is fantastic. Yeah. There, um, if you like metal, you will love this band, I promise you. Well, I do like metal, so I will immediately start listening to Cyborg <laughs> Octopus. Um, but before I do, so you're talking about record labels, okay? Right. One of the things I noticed when I was looking through the 78 RPM uh, records was that it's... Did, Part of it is digitized by George Blood LP. Blue, something like that. I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm just going to say Blood because it sounds better. Okay. Um, but part of their collection that they've digitized is Columbia Ragtime Music. And if anybody is, is knows a little bit about ragtime music in the U.S., especially Columbia, is that they were notorious for getting particularly women, but uh, artists of color to record uh, their music and then not pay them or pay them, you know, pennies to the $100 worth of profit that they got. Um, And I find it rather interesting that now through a project to democratize music, we've gone back and included a lot of those songs. And again, I kind of have the question of who's actually profiting from this. Um, You know, those musicians, those artists are long passed away and their family is often forgotten. Um, I don't know if there's any royalties going back. Um, And I don't know how royalties would work in a situation like that. I I think it's just going to kind of be one of those, you know, historical tragedies. Like you can't, you can't undo it. And the musicians from this period of time, 
were so foundational in all the music and entertainment that we have today. And they, uh, they were just ripped off. And yeah. a lot of it was just exploitive uh, racism. I mean, I don't mean to yeah. call it yeah. out like that, yeah. but it was, it was because we could. Yep. Yeah. You know, and you can't do anything about it. Yep. Yeah. And it particularly hit hard with uh, the artists in, um, you know, the genres of ragtime, but also jazz. Um, yeah. And we know that jazz has become foundational for so many different genres of music. Um, basically anything that is written with a 16 or a 32 measure um, has been informed in some way by the rhythmic, um, basically the baseline of jazz music. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I read a, you know, just talking about how they people would just take things. Uh, it was said Elvis would tell people like right out. He's like, the music that I do is black music. Huh. You know, he would just tell people because he had like kind of a guilty conscience about it. Right. But at the same time, it was him. You know, he wasn't actually like plagiarizing and stealing lyrics or anything. But essentially just what he did was he just kind of looked at the style of what was going on. And then the corporations, the labels just kind of figured out like, you know, this, this music is good but it's insulated in this community and if we could repackage it some mm -hmm. way for the rest of america yeah it could really hit and boom elvis right yeah and there there was a movement um of black uh artists uh making records for the consumption of rich white listeners like that when that sort of happened uh that's when we see the takeoff of um, the recorded medium anyway. Uh, you know, I think they're still doing their, their live tours and they're touring. Um, and, you know, one could probably envision quite a rigorous tour schedule uh, under those circumstances. Uh, but it was when they were able to start selling those 78s that uh, it really took off. Yeah, because then it's about distribution and as an artist, you you can't just like do that yourself. So that puts control into like a manufacturing base, which puts control into a moneyed hand. Yeah, yeah. And people that have money like to have more money and don't always make the best decisions. Yeah, and like I think whenever we talk about distribution networks and the reach of the distribution network, um, really what you're saying is that it's out of the artist's control. Um, it, it, yeah. when it's in a physical medium like this, right? Um, well, it's also digital too. Like we're just a little bit spoiled that s some of the companies that offer distribution for what we do now are just kind of being cool about it. Mm. But I, I can't build iTunes by myself. Right. Apple just decided to allow podcasters to use it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. That's interesting. So, so, so I think, uh, you know, coming back to the idea of profit, um, and how we can view profit from art, you know, should we support, I guess one of the questions that we have is, should we support the water distribution of music in general, uh, through these sort of technical means, um, 
And I think, you know, one of the, the, the observations that I have anyway, is that the distribution of music technically has shrunken to a select few sources. Um, like I don't see any brick and mortar shops as, or as many as I used to. I think, you know, we could ask, is the CD dead? Um, and like, do people still buy band t-shirts or artwork? Um, or where do they buy their music? You know, these are sort of the questions that I have because it seems to me like we're in a streaming culture um, where we want to tap into a compilation of songs on a streaming service uh, or go to YouTube and see kind of what someone's curating on there. So the streaming model is definitely designed so that the corporation profits, but at the same time, the corporation has to incentivize the artist. I, it, that's, it's hard to say. I would always encourage the wider distribution of music mm. just because music is art and you should get it in people's ears and it inspires people and it motivates people to make their own art. Yep. And that's like really important. Um, you know, co corporations still have control. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and anytime yeah. they produce something they're I mean, it's fair to say that if you make something, you should earn a profit and you, you spend money so therefore you should earn money for the thing that you made. But to have the exploitive control that we've seen in the past is also a, a terrible thing. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I'm kind of torn because on the one hand, I agree with you. A larger distribution of art, music in particular, is a good thing. Like you want to inspire the next generation to create new music and experiment with sounds, for example. Um, but as you widen that distribution network, especially in an age where it's things are born digital, right? It seems to me like there's a lessening of the opportunity to actually make money off of it. Um, so for example, putting your music onto archive.org, a free platform, allows anybody access to it, which is good, but then you don't get paid for that access. So maybe another, maybe I should rephrase the question to say, how can we envision a world in which it's not paid for access, but we can support artists? Um, well, I, I think it goes back to my example with my steps on his band hmm. is they make their money on tour. Yeah. So most of the people that listen to them, you're, you're going to go listen to them and yeah. that listen is going to be free. Yes. You know, and you're going to say, oh man, this is great. I really enjoy this. And of so many of you, some people might, you know, buy it off of Bandcamp or iTunes or something. And then a smaller percentage will go see their show and buy a t-shirt. Right. And, and, and that's why musicians make so much less money. Mm. but that's kind of where it stands right now. Yeah. What, uh, what was your last band t-shirt that you've purchased? Do you remember? My, <laughs> my last band t-shirt was cyborg octopus. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that is the correct answer. Anthony. Uh, I was just thinking back, uh, because I wore it yesterday. Um, mine was the devil makes three. Uh, I went to okay. go see them live in Montreal with a buddy a few weeks ago. And uh, walked over to the merch table and just had to buy a t-shirt. Um, yeah. yeah. I felt like I really needed to support them. And uh, it was a great looking tee. So like, why not? You know what? I got I actually got a perfect example of how you're talking about uh, distribution 
and how they can control an artist. And sometimes it's even out of the distributor's control. So have you heard that the, from YouTube, the term YouTubers use adpocalypse? The adpocalypse. The uh, adpocalypse. Do you know what that is? Could probably make sense of it, but uh, okay. it sounds like you're, so it's something to do with advertising. Yeah. So YouTube used to be, you and I can make a video and we can monetize it, right? Yep. And if it went viral and it got 20 million views, we can make like money, like lots of money, like serious money, right? Right. Yeah. Like uh, pennies per view, but. Yeah, exactly. So like 20 views isn't going to do anything for you, but like. 4 million views in 24 hours. And now you're putting like 20 grand in your pocket in 24 hours. Yeah. So, and that was an incentive for creators, um, uh, video content to use YouTube and even podcasters actually use YouTube. Yep. So then something happened. ISIS started making YouTube videos and monetizing them. (laughs) Okay. So now all of a sudden and probably other terrorist cells, right? Not yeah. just not just yeah. only. Yeah. Um all of a sudden, you know, there's a Ford commercial coming on right before an ISIS or terrorist video yeah. talking about America's the great Satan, blah blah blah. And Ford and AT&T and you know all these major American brands are just kind of like, "Hey, this 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 is not cool." They didn't like that, eh? No. So YouTube had to figure out how to deal with that. And what they did was they upped it to where you can't monetize your channel until you get 10,000 overall views. Okay. So that cut off maybe 20% of YouTubers just right off the bat. Because 10,000 views is a lot if you're, you know, not whatever right yeah i take ten thousand views that sounds like a lot to me it's a good uh, it's a good number that didn't work either oh okay because they would continue to post their videos and because of the inflammatory nature of the video they would get ten thousand views and monetize okay so now it's been changed to you have to have a thousand subscribers and i think it's like thirty thousand views annually okay so it cuts Which, out the small the small producers. Yeah, it cuts out like ninety percent of YouTubers. Wow. And they call it adpocalypse. The adpocalypse. Yeah. Uh, okay. It's you know so you can think of those sorts of uh, relationship between artist and distributor. You yeah. know this is a case where I don't even think that Google was trying to be nasty or manipulative of artists, but they had to respond to their profit model. Right. And the artist got hurt. Yeah. Well, it seems like whenever there is a change in the profit model of a platform, uh, artists are the target or the unintended, you know, I'm going to call them victim of the change. Yeah. We can think of uh, Patreon's attempt to change their monetization system. Right. Exactly. Uh, Huge backlash. Right. And lots of very smart. back. (laughs) <laughs> they they did they did because I think uh, there's a huge batch of backlash and I think uh, some very smart people did the economics as well and said hey you're basically cutting us out <laughs> you're telling us it's a good deal but it's not um, so that's you know it's an instance where they didn't change 
Um, but you can think of other platforms where artists uh, make a percentage or take a small cut of total sales or streams. And if you change your mathematics behind it, it can really influence lives. You know, that's the point that I would like to add to the idea is I think we can all accept, uh, or pretty much all anyway, the intrinsic value of art. But I think sometimes we have to think that the artist has a life as well. There's someone real, someone who has a family who, you know, that's their work. That's behind that fuzzy notion of art. And I think sometimes that gets lost. I think the idea of the starving artist is real. Uh, it's not a fictionalized account just to, I don't know, discredit some forms of art. Well, and I think the role of the artist in the public's eye has kind of changed because art has, used yeah. to be yeah. a lot more significant and powerful in the social sphere of like communicating discontent. Yep. And a lot of artists just become kind of poppy, like what like looks good, what sounds good, what's shiny. Right. Yeah. And um so it's easy to kind of disvalue something that seems shallow. Yes. Yes. And, Absolutely. But Absolutely. At, at the same time, you, then you contrast that with uh an amazing musician you know, you hear some like uh, some James Brown or something, and you're just like, that guy is great. Yeah, he has a message. It's awesome. And you come to find out that there were times where he was not getting his cut. Yeah. Speaking of great musicians, Anthony, I think this is a good place to go to uh, our second song of the episode. Uh, again, I've given you the task of picking out the tracks. What do you have next for us? Okay, so this one, this, I got. This is a this is a twofer right here. Number one, this is a shout out to my dad, oh. who is a huge fan of Sim. He loves you guys. What? Really? Yeah. I, we were in the car. I played the episode that I was on with you guys. He loved it. Now he listens to every episode. Oh. When he was a kid, his father. <laughs> his father would sing this song to him as a lullaby now transitioning back into the topic of the episode this song is a perfect example of an extremely talented musician who was whitewashed and this is Mac the Knife by Louis Armstrong hey, if you listen to the lyrics he sounds like Sinatra mm. because that's what they were doing in those days. So somebody probably, you know, took Louie to the side and said, hey, this is a good song. You're talented. Could you sound a little bit more like this? Wow. And the man wants to get paid, right? Let's, uh, let's continue that discussion. But first, Mac the Knife by Louis Armstrong, brought to us by Columbia Music. The shark has pretty teeth, dear, and he shows them a pearly white. Just a jackknife has back heat, dear, and he keeps it outside. When the shark bites, 
With his teeth, dear, scarlet billows start to spread. Fancy gloves, though, where's my heat, dear? So there's not a trace mm, of red on the sidewalk. Sunday morning, baby, lies a body oozing light. Someone sneaking around the corner Is the someone back tonight From a tugboat by the river A cement bags drooping down Yes, the cement's just for the weight, dear Bet you Mac Back in town Look a year Louis Miller Disappeared dear After drawing Out his cash And Mac Heath Spends like a sailor Did our boy do Something rash Suki Tawdry Jenny Diver Lottie Lanyard, sweet Lucy Brown. Oh, the line forms on the right, dears. Now that Mackie's back in town. Take it, Satch. Welcome back, everyone. This is Semi-Intellectual Musings. I am your co-host, Philip Primo, and with us, Anthony Von Deshauer, the co-creator, host, uh, visionary of the Curse of Silver Lake podcast. Today's episode, we are talking about music. We are talking about the 78 RPM digitization project from archive.org. And we've started venturing into, um, I'm going to call it kind of like the economics of music. I guess is one way that we yeah, could call absolutely. it. Um, so I, you know, I think where we could go next with this is to talk a little bit more about the labor behind music. And, you know, maybe we could talk broadly about as jobs continue to shrink, how do people make money? I know that I haven't necessarily been full-time employed my entire life. I've been really lucky when I've had full employment. Um, but I don't know a lot of artists who say that they are fully employed through their artwork. Uh, yeah, I actually don't know one. I know people who uh, make money on the side. Yes. But yeah. as far as 100% employed by their art now. Un- unless like, uh, like you were saying, like you're a pop uh, artist. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe if, if you've made it, so, you know, quote unquote, you could probably live off your earnings. Um, but more and more stories are coming out that even the artists that even we hear those on guys. the radio. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, if you li- we kind of glossed by it a little bit earlier, but if you listen to the stories of what was going on with like West Coast, like gangster rap mm. back in the day, yeah, there was a lot of that funny stuff going on. And um, you still had these icons like Dre, who, if you think about it, is kind of like a kind of like a civil rights icon but he's not viewed that way but he produced so much music and then you had 
other industry, other individuals in there that were just taking advantage of people. Right. Just really, really talented people. But um, getting back to what you're saying, personally, I think art as an economy is going to grow. Yeah. Because I think the industrial-based economics that we've known for the past 200-ish years is coming to an end. And I think it's going to happen a lot faster than we think. Yeah. And it's it's uh, corporations are pushing for it. Because the number one cost of doing business is labor. Yep. And they don't like paying labor. Yep. And um, so I, I had a I have a whole spiel that I'm not going to bore everybody with. But uh, just give me an example. As soon as Tesla or Google can develop an 18-wheeler that can travel from New York <laughs> to San Francisco, yeah. truck drivers are gone. In like 10 years, a human being will never drive a truck again. And that's like 200,000 people who are making a good living where they can support a home and a family without a college degree. Right. Well, so gonna, you, you know? know, I think, um, so there's a broader technological advancement argument around driverless vehicles and robotization. I don't think you're wrong, though that these developments will cause a shift in how people work and how people earn money. Um, you know, there, it's not everyone who's going to be able to repair a robot. And I think it's, um, I, I think it's a pipe dream to think that replacing truck drivers with autonomous vehicles is going to mean that those truck drivers are now going to go sell insurance or going to program right. the trucks or service the no, trucks, right? It's going to be much, much uglier than that. Yeah. yeah. And it's going to be harsh. But the advancement the advancement of the individual has not occurred primarily through great understand like social structures mm. and you know moving from uh monarchy to this or that. Democracy's been awesome, obviously. Mm. But the greatest advancements have been made in technology that allows us to live our lives easier. Otherwise we have the same society we did like 2000 years ago. It's yeah. essentially the wealthy people control everything. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. It's no different. Yeah. And the only reason we live better lives is because there's more food because of technology, yeah. because we live longer because of medical technology, stuff like that. Right. Yeah. So I think what's going to happen is, industrialized work is going to decrease. And, um, as a result of that, I think our economy is going to grow and you're kind of already seeing that. Mm. For example, um, well, podcasters, what we're doing right here, yeah. what we're doing right here. Um, websites like, uh, like deviant art. Yep. You know, where, they're really, really talented artists can sell their stuff. Yep. Fiverr, uh, the gig economy around uh, some of that stuff as well. Yeah. And and I think we're going to see more and more of that. So perhaps there's hope in the, in the long run for artists of all varieties, including musicians. I'm going to um, see this is one of the things that I always love about talking with you, Anthony, 
um, is that your Marxist uh, leanings towards uh, stratification <laughs> align very well with mine. So I think you're <laughs> absolutely right. And I think, you know, this is one of the points that Marx has made in a lot of his works is you could have a society in which technological, technological advancement far outpaces uh, any profit earnings or economic growth, but fundamentally you still have a stratified society. Fundamentally, the people who are at the top are earning more and the people at the bottom are cut out from those earnings. Um, and that translates into opportunities, right? So as you were saying, the truck driver who's pushed out of his uh, labor sector isn't credentialized, can't play the game with others who are, where do they go? Um, so my cynicism behind the stratified societies in which we live is that they've had to become entrepreneurs. And I think going towards the arts as something that is a potential um, almost turns those who cannot play the game right now into entrepreneurs. And I don't know if that's a good thing, but that seems to be what's happening. Um, so for example, uh, if I'm, if I'm non-credentialized, but I can do really good web editing, I can get a decent wage. I can live off of gigs where I edit websites. Um, and I'm my own boss, right? So I take contracts and I do them and individually they're probably not paid very much. There's no job security, probably, well, there's definitely no union coverage, uh, off of those sort of gig economy jobs. Um, but I'm able to bring in some money to live. So, you know, there's a very cynical side of me that says, I don't want that to happen. I don't want to see a, a an age in which we're all just kind of scraping by off scraps, um, to use a word that Aaron Henry past well, guest no, has but used. I, but I yeah. think it's going to be a revolution. Okay, just you're like going all the other way. I like yeah, it. Yeah, because, okay, so when the internet hit consumers, corporations were not prepared. And Napster kicked the music industry right in the balls. And Metallica didn't like it. Yeah. And they had to adapt around it. Yeah. So, you know, it's not going to be the, the same as that, but I think, I think people are going to figure it out because at the end of the day, as powerful as that top stratus is, they can't function without the, the other layers underneath them. Mm. Mm. And so... There, there is a bizarre ebb and flow. I, I do have very dire predictions for the near future. You know, like I think those truck drivers are talking about these guys with like 20, 30 years under their belt of being a truck driver. Now their job is gone. They can't pay their mortgage. They're 50, maybe 60 years old. Yep. It's going to suck. And yep. we're going to hear like awful stories. And then they start losing their homes and then the housing market goes down. The housing market goes down. Now there's, you know, fewer people remodeling their homes. So now there's less work for electricians yeah. and plumbers yeah. and carpenters. No, there's a it, cascading effect that happens yeah, with that it's for gonna sure. Be, it's going to be bad. Yeah. But, um, and that's just like one technology. You know, they're even trying to develop like AI technology to where you don't need software developers to right. where the to where you just tell 
the AI, what kind of software you want, it just makes itself. And so they're constantly trying to figure out how to cut out labor. But I think we are kind of getting to a point where we can build economies that aren't labor-based. Right. And for example, you and I have a podcast and I've paid artists Mm. to do things for me. Yep. And that's, I, I have a wonderful artist in the Philippines and I put food on their table. Yep. You see what I'm saying? And hopefully, eventually, I will receive some kind of income from from my listeners. And what you've noticed about the general podcasting community is probably a good chunk of the people who listen to your show are other podcasters, right? Uh some yeah some? i think like yeah a chunk. like a good chunk yeah i think yeah. the podcasting community is really supportive of each other imagine if everybody that was interested in audio was a podcaster right yep so now you have an engaged audience that's more likely to support and interact and that's how an economy is built mm. Mm. so when you think about like um you know uh, Denzel's speech and Boys in the Hood talking about keeping money here. Mm. Th- that's like a thing. Yeah. So, for example, if I buy a Sim T-shirt and then you guys buy a Curse of Silver Lake T-shirt, yep. that's I, I think I, I'm not a economic genius, but I think that's kind of what we're going to end up going towards. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, if we think about it from a a little bit more macro perspective. Um, our economy has been built on the back of wage labor. Uh, you go to work, you work eight hours, you get a wage packet, and that wage packet is a small percentage of the uh, profits that someone is able to make off the widgets that you've just made or the right. services that you've just rendered, right? And I think we can think of another system that is based less on wage labor and more on um, bartering or, you know, the exchange of commodities is basically what you're suggesting, right? Well, and I think it's not that we can think of it. I think it's just going to happen. It's going to happen. Well, yeah. And, you know, the the one thing about humans is that we are resourceful. And uh, when push comes to shove, we'll go where we have to go. Um, absolutely, I've I've considered starting a service where I get paid per X number of words, not per the amount of hours I've put in. I control the process that I do that. I control when I do it. I can control the quality. I can control my output, control my clients. Um, You know, having control over my product, my process allows me to be who I am. Yep. Yep. So coming back to art, just yep. And coming back to artists, it seems to me like that is why someone wants to become an artist in the first place. Absolutely. Yeah. To be expressive. Yeah. So get out of that factory, stop making the widget, start playing uh, the harp. And get into the new economy. The the new uh, arts-based economy. I like it. Now, if only our governments would listen. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> gov- governments, they're... History backs us up on this one, you know? So fortunately we have the mechanism of democracy, which, you know, hopefully that works. So when things get dramatic, the exchange of power can be peaceful. 
Uh, I prefer peace over the yeah. alternatives. Uh, and if anything, um, you know, musicians tend to be quite peaceful. I think, I hope. Typically, uh, yeah. Typically. Absolutely. They have a history of supporting nonviolence. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We can think of yeah. the Beatles. Uh, that's, or uh, every uh, artist during the Vietnam era. Uh, yep. Uh, you know, my, some of my favorites uh, during Vietnam were uh, CCR. Uh, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Just get and that you know you can hear the helicopters right in the music. Yeah, yeah. There it is. Uh, all right, uh, Anthony. I'm going to give you the final word uh, on this episode, which has started from a project to democratize music and has ended with the idea that through democracy we might be able to overthrow the gripping economy that has uh, basically caused us to uh, become non-human or wants us to be non-human <laughs> welcome to sim welcome to sim so anthony uh i'll give you the last word on this I, I think the last word that i have here is you know be inspired the 78 project is about listening to our artistic forefathers yep. in this case musicians and where they were coming from and what they gave to us and the reason they gave that to us is because they wanted to express themselves and they wanted us to learn from them to express ourselves. And if you've learned anything in this episode is that there's power and value in expressing yourself and you don't have to be a widget. That I uh, couldn't have said it better. You stole the idea right out of my head, Anthony. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. It's, it's been uh, an absolute pleasure. Thank you. It, it has been fun. Um, we have one more song in store for you. Uh, Anthony, you've picked it. What's our, uh, what are we going to close this on? Okay. So this one, this is this. And I found the stinkiest bluesy version I could find. Um, Minnie the Mooch. <laughs> okay. What's the story behind it? Is there one? I you know what I, I just I just have a personal affection for this song. It's um it's blues and there are lyrics to the song. Yeah. But it's really about the music and it's really about the camaraderie of, you know, hi yada yada yo and then everybody sings it. Yeah. And then everybody sings it. And it's just it's just that kind of which is like the that's like the function of blues is to commiserate together. So I think the song just kind of hits that mark. Well, well join us in our commiseration with cab Calloway and his orchestra, Minnie the moocher. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, stick around. We're going to have some thank yous for you uh, after this song. And if you'd like to join us, we are on Twitter at the underscore S-I-M underscore P-O-D. We're on Facebook at The Simpod. Send us an email. Tell us uh, when Anthony and I, uh, probably I got wrong, uh, semi-intellectual at gmail.com. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you find your podcasts. And uh, as always, if you leave us a review, we'll read it at the end. So stick around for that. Thank you again, Anthony. This has been a blast. Thank you. Anytime, man. Folks, here's a story about Minnie the Moocher. 
she was a red hot huge creature. She was the roughest, toughest frail, but Minnie had a heart as big as a whale. A hide, a hide, a hide, a hide, 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 Him, though he was cocky, he took her down to Chinatown, and he showed her how to kick the gong around. I hide, 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 hide. About the king of Sweden, he gave her things that she was needing. He gave her a home built of gold and steel, a diamond car with the platinum wheels. Hurry, 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 He gave her his townhouse and his racing horses. Each meal she ate was a dozen courses. She had a million dollars worth of nickels and dimes. She sat around and counted them all a million times. Hide, 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 I just called to say how much I like your podcast. I just called to say five stars for you. <laughs> Welcome. Uh, this is the thank yous. We do it every week. Uh, if you leave us a rating or write us a review, we will read your name on the episode uh, this week. Uh, I'm going to kick it off with a new one from Mackin Murphy. He is the writer, host, creator extraordinaire behind the Species podcast. In his review, he writes, great show, must download for all. Uh, He says the hosts pack the show with interesting information and thought-provoking discussion. Well, Mackin, we try. Uh, But thanks to the relaxed banter and simple packaging... This podcast is at once accessible, informative, and enjoyable. Five stars, just the way we like them. We like those five stars. Uh, We have another one here from Brent and Morgan. They say, we are so glad we discovered this one with an exclamation point. That means something for us. Uh, They say, semi-intellectual musings is great for when I'm in the mood for something clever and entertaining. Very few podcasts get the balance right. 
but this one sure does. And they also left five stars. So thank you so much for those five stars. Um, you know, it's always nice to hear reviews. Uh, no one has ever said, please don't compliment us. Uh, but one that really struck home to me, I don't know why this one in particular, but it's from the Frankham pod. Uh, you can find them. And this one came through on Twitter. Actually, they're from new South Wales. Uh, the Franken pod is a podcast stitched together from the corpses of mystery, noir, and Gothic literature and cinema. So right up, uh, all our alleys, I think, uh, find them on Twitter at the Franken pod. And they said, finally sat down and listened to the sim pod, really enjoying it. Loved the premise and the delivery. Um, you know, there, thank you Franken pod for that. Uh, it means a lot to us when people reach out, take time to write something nice Another person who took time to write something nice, Aaron Henry. He is on Twitter at H-I-S-T sociologist, hist sociologist. He says, check out the SimPod. Phil and Matt are a great team and work to connect published world with lived experience. That is exactly what we try to do and what better way to tell us how much you like us than to give us a rating and review. It could be on Twitter and our Twitter account is at the underscore S-I-M underscore pod you could be on facebook at the simpod send us an email semi-intellectual at gmail.com you could do it on itunes they uh, or apple Podcasts. they have a little neat feature where you can review rate and review could do it uh, on stitcher could do it on uh, podcatcher podbean any of those they're good but let us know send us a picture of the review send it you know just send us an email saying hey i left a review here's my name if you're a show leave us your podcast and we're going to plug you each and every week we're going to do this um, so thank you so much, everyone. Uh, you know, it really does mean a lot to us. If you're wondering how you can support the show, that's how you do it. Leave us a review. And, uh, you know, I think I'll take a few minutes next week to, or, or on our next episode, um, to talk about why it's so important to have reviews. But, uh, for today, I want to leave you with another 78 RPM song. This one from 1942 by Josh White and his guitar, it is called House of the Rising Sun. Talk to you all next time. A house in New Orleans They call the rising sun And it's been the ruin over many poor girls and me, oh God, for one. Now, if I had a listen to what my mama said, I'd have been at home today Being so young and foolish Oh Lord I let a rambler lead me astray Go tell 
my baby sister Don't do what I have done Please shun that house and do They call the rising sun Lord, I'm go, going back to New Orleans My race is almost run Yes, I'm going back to spend my life beneath that rock.